Welcome to My Morning Cup, a podcast produced by Costa Media Advisors, a strategic communications company. My Morning Cup, where we have interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm Mike Costa, your host. My guest this week is Jay Dale. Jay is the market president for First Horizon Bank in Chattanooga. Jay knew early on he wanted to go into banking, and his career took him to cities like Charlotte and Nashville. So what is it about Chattanooga that drove him to return to the scenic city? Jay, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we trace your career back to the founding of the Jamestown Settlement, let me ask, what's in your morning cup? Good morning. It's uh, Cafe de Costa. Well, you know, I hear they take a while to make their coffee, <laughs> but once it comes out, it's pretty good. We might have had some technical challenge with the Keurig machine. Well, I'm technically challenged with a lot of things. <laughs> thanks for ha- I'm a big fan of the podcast. I think I've listened to about every one, so thanks for having me. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So um, you grew up in North Carolina, but one thing, and I mentioned it in the introduction, you can trace your roots back to Jamestown. <laughs> so... Um, my mother was in genealogy, and I kind of got into genealogy even more. Of course, with Ancestry.com, it's a lot easier. So just in the last couple of years, I was able to trace my direct great-great-great-great times 10 or something grandfather, Jeremy Dale. Of course, back then, the name had a different spelling. So people's names would evolve based on how the census note-taker heard the name. And so later it became D-A-I-L and now D-A-L-E. Anyway, it was Jeremy Deal. And uh, he was one of the 144 settlers of Jamestown. So I like to say, no big deal. My family founded America. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. I don't know if I've ever met anyone who could trace it back that far. Yeah, it's really neat. And actually sailed with uh, Captain John Smith of Pocahontas fame. And there's uh, books and a few articles about the, the sailing back then at Chesapeake Bay in Virginia. It's really fascinating. That is fascinating. So a lot of people we talk to on the podcast did not intentionally get into the careers they're in. But you started with a focus on banking, did you not? Yes. So my uncle ran the mortgage group for BB&T. And so when I was graduating UTC, I had a business degree. I didn't know exactly what I do. I knew I wanted to do business. And he was kind enough to get my resume kind of on the list of resumes on the desk. And then I had some really good interviews and and they weren't necessarily looking at Chattanooga at that time. First Union National Bank's management training program was one of the best in the country. It was I mean, they have, they took 30 or 40 and they had like a thousand applicants. I was the only mid-major. It's folks from Wake Forest and North Carolina and Duke and Vanderbilt. But I had a, I'll tell you a quick story. So when I was in Nashville and I was preparing for the interview, the first face-to-face, and I kind of over-prepared. You remember Walden Books? You could walk down and go to a bookstore. And the night before I was flipping through the book about interview questions, like if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? And, (laughs) you know, if they ask what your weaknesses are, you try to pick one that's kind of a strength and, you know, I'm too organized, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And it said, if they ask you how to sell this pen, here's the answer. I kind of thumbed through it for 20 minutes. So I walk in that morning, very intimidating room. And the first question was, here's this pen, sell me this pen. I was like, yes, <laughs> I've got it, you know. Before I sell you this pen, what do you like about pens? How do you like it to write? How do you like it to feel? Do you want something that dries quickly? Do you want to use it for a long time? He said, I interviewed 50 people today. You're the first person that got that right. So That's great. Yeah, so kind of a neat story how it got started. Some people say that was luck then I got luck into banking or God thing. I don't know, but uh, maybe preparation. 
But it's been a good career, and I, I do want to talk more about the career, but I want to talk about how you got here. So you were born yeah. in North Carolina, but you got here at a young age, fifth grade? Fifth grade, came here. My father worked for JCPenney's and was a store manager, and back then, you know, a retail manager was a big deal. Oh, yeah. So when I'd walk in with my dad, it was like uh, – I was like a rock star being the, the manager's son. And so the way you move up is when a store manager retires, you transfer. So that was a big step to leave North Carolina, where all our family was, to come to Chattanooga. And so that was to run Eastgate and then later Northgate with the eyes of doing Hamilton Place. And then he ended up doing Hamilton Place when it opened. Mm-hmm. So what part of town did you grow up in? So we were in Farrington Forest off Boy Scout Road out in Hickson. That's oh, where yeah. we moved to. And then um, later on on Big Ridge and later on in Signal. And you stayed and went to UTC? Yep. So I grew up a big Tar Heel fan because I'm from North Carolina. So they're like ACC basketball there is like what SEC football here. So all my family went to Chapel Hill and I had visions of maybe transferring, but fell in love with UTC. And I was a Kappa Sig fraternity. Matter of fact, recently at the Medal of Honor Museum of Valor launch, I got to sit beside General B.B. Bell, who was a Kappa Sig, oh, yeah. UTC, as a matter of fact. Yeah, B.B.'s so a great the, guy. Yeah, he's fantastic. And so we talked some about that. But before that, your mom died at a young age, too. Yes. So when we moved here, she had just been diagnosed with melanoma cancer. And at that time, the fatality rate was relatively high. And so they don't have the advanced treatments today. So that was was a big part of my growing up, adding responsibility. It was tough. Middle school was tough. So I was sixth grade. Oh, that's pretty young. And looking back, I didn't know it, but I really struggled for a good three or four years just trying to figure out how to process it and my father, of course, he's still working. He's processing it. So I was by myself a lot trying to... Were you an only child? No, I've got a brother who's seven or six and a half years older than me, but uh, he stayed back in North Carolina. He was about to go to Chapel Hill. So it was basically me and my dad, and we got through it together. It took me you know, a lot of fishing trips, and we talked, but it was a struggle. So I finally, probably middle of high school, I finally kind of got it together and, and started really focusing on schoolwork and stuff. How does that play into who you are today? To have it something that tragic at such a young age, yeah. you know, it does take a long, and you never really get over it, yeah. but you learn to process it. How does that affect you today in terms of, you know, not just business, but life? It made me very self-sufficient because, I mean, just little things like I can remember struggling with schoolwork because I always had my mother to help me mm-hmm. make sure I'm doing the schoolwork, make sure it's done on time, help me get ready for school. And so it's not that my dad didn't want to do that, but it, you just have to figure out like who was doing what. And so, oh, wait, you need help with homework? Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. And yeah, doing my laundry, you know, cooking meals. And not to say we did it together, but it, just a learning, just adjusting to that difference. So I became very self-sufficient. So that forced me to grow up quick. Yeah. And it's not the right term to say it's stuff you took for granted, but it's stuff your mother did. Yeah. That you just didn't realize all That's the right. stuff she was doing. So sixth grade, that happens. You're starting to, I guess, get refocused by ninth grade. I'd say ninth, 10th grade. I was very competitive. I didn't really care that much about school. Then all of a sudden I was sitting in class and it dawned on me, what's a GPA? Oh, wait, we're all measured against each other. <laughs> uh, GP, oh, wait. And it, something just clicked and then just got competitive. Yeah. Yeah. So once you realized you were being measured against self, yeah. it's like, I better pay attention yeah, to yeah, this. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then went on to UTC? So I went to UTC and thought I might transfer to Chapel Hill, but just fell in love with it. And I'm still involved today and got two daughters that go there. I met my wife there and UTC was fantastic and met some lifelong friends there in the Cap Sig fraternity and loved it. Loved my time at UTC. Went back and got my MBA later too. Did you know you wanted to get into banking when you were at UTC or what was your major finance? Uh, I started off with accounting and then it added finance because accounting alike is a little bit more black and white. There's some interpretation, but what I love about finance is 
there's more art to it. There's more decision-making. There's more strategy. And so I ended up finishing with finance and then went back got my MBA. But in banking, I think we're all accidental bankers to some degree. I don't think anybody grows up saying, I want to be a banker. You want to be, you know, a sports broadcaster or, you know, NBA player. Or, mm-hmm. But um, I really love finance. You really collect. Talk a little bit about that difference in accounting and finance when you say there's a little bit more you can do in terms of interpretation. Yeah, I guess maybe it's just more a personality thing. I could have seen myself doing accounting. It's very important. We work with a lot of accountants and serve our clients well. Um, to me, it's a little bit more keeping score, a little bit more black and white. There's a lot of advisory to that. There's no doubt about it in strategic thinking. What I like about finance, there's a lot of decision-making in do we do this plan expansion? Does it make sense to do it right now? What's the break-even analysis on this piece of equipment? How's that going to impact my earnings per share 10 years from now? Growing for the sake of growth can actually hurt your company versus doing a pragmatic. And so that really thoughtful, analytical part, it really entertained me. Would it be fair to say that the accountant brings the facts and the information to the finance department or the CFO, and the CFO evaluates all that and says, okay, Here's the direction we need. That's right. Yeah. So we, I mean, that's what we do as bankers. We get the audit in and we have to interpret the performance over year, over year, over year, and then look forward. Okay. They want to borrow this much for this plan expansion or this piece of equipment. And so can they afford it? Can they pay it back? And can we help provide some different ideas on the amortization and the structure? And so, yeah, I like that um, strategic part of finance. Absolutely. So you're at UTC and you're getting out. What's your next step? So, yeah, so I mentioned about uh, yeah, that God thing about starting off with First Union Bank and training. So they put us up in Charlotte. I was based in Nashville, and I was on the retail side. They actually asked me, do you want to be a retail manager or go in the commercial line of business? And I was kind of young and dumb, and I was engaged to be married. I, I wanted to do the shorter program, so I, I chose retail. <laughs> and uh, But I loved it because I trained to be a branch manager in Nashville, and I was a roving manager and got to see all different parts of Nashville. Uh, but it taught me to learn everything, to running a teller window, to doing a car loan, a checking account, the ATM machine, doing the vault, you know, looking up, it's three o'clock. I haven't had lunch because we've been going all day and I love the fast pace, uh, but I really wanted to be more the finance. Side. Once I realized like, I do enjoy that, but I really want to use my finance education and be more on the commercial side. And then we also wanted to leave Chattanooga. Then once we left, we like, man, we love Chattanooga. We're family as we let's get back. So two years later, we joined SunTrust and came back to Chattanooga. That sounds like your choice to go retail prepared you for what you're doing now because you wanted to also get on the commercial side. So you saw all aspects of the operation as market president. I'm sure that's important to know. I think uh, when I go into the branches and visit, I can say I've been right where you are. I've run that teller window. I have missed a lunch. I have been so busy I couldn't even realize what time it was. I've been right there where you are. And so I think they appreciate that. And I can understand the work they've done and, and the stresses they go through. And so it really ended up working fantastic, especially during COVID when, let me tell you, our retail folks were the financial heroes of the economy because they didn't have the luxury of working from home. They had to come into the office and come into the branch and, and keep the economy moving. And I always have so much respect for that. What are some of the changes you had to make at the branch level with COVID to keep it going? Oh my gosh. We could do a whole podcast about PPP and COVID and all that, but um you know, I think we all struggled what to do to start. I think for a while there, we went to drive through only, and then it evolved to, okay, we're going to have a locked lobby, but we'll make appointments and people can come in and we'll have the distancing, but we'll control the amount of people that are in the branch. 
then I think we eventually transition to, okay, we're going to unlock the doors, but we're only going to allow uh, four family units in the branch, and we're going to have this distance at the teller window. And so it slowly evolved as new data and information came out. And we, you know, we've got a good community here. And so the other market presidents, you know, we would compare and mm-hmm. uh, we all do our own thing, but it's also good to know what other folks are doing. And so you're not an outlier. And so we, we were all kind of doing maybe different timing, but all kind of doing the same thing. How important was digital backend at that point? Oh, so let me tell you, if you were um, apprehensive about using an app, everybody quickly learned how to do <laughs> digital banking. And so that really took off. And so that hurts foot traffic some today because uh, digital banking is just so convenient. I mean, you can make a deposit when you're in your pajamas with a cup of coffee at home. and You've seen me. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. That You need to turn your camera off. Uh, so it really has evolved. But what we've also learned during this little mini banking crisis is branches are very important to uh, a bank's diversity of its customer base and deposits. And people may not go to a branch, not quite as much, but when they need a branch, they need a HELOC, they need help. Fraud is rampant right now, sadly. They want to know where to go. And so they'll still choose a bank based on the nearest branch sometimes, even though they may not go quite as much as they used to 20 years ago. I want to go back to the management training program. Yeah. Once you talk a little bit about the importance of that, and I'm coming at it from the aspect of, think about someone graduating college now and they got opportunities. Why is it so important to take something like that when you're really busting at the seams to not necessarily have more responsibility, but get going to make that commitment to a year or two long management training program? What is it you got out of it that really sets you up for the success you've had today? Well, that program was really good in that they, even at that time, this is 1994, I want to say the cost was like 75000 or 100000 per person. I mean, they really poured, they wanted that person to experience all the different lines of business, all the different areas of the bank. They wanted that person to be well-rounded, to know all aspects of banking. Uh, these are going to be the future leaders. Uh, we don't necessarily have that robust program across the banking industry today. We've gotten too efficient. and yeah. But for me, it was really important. I just learned so much, uh, great connections, and learned the banking industry. It probably would have taken me five to 10 years to learn what I learned in nine months. So in that nine months, can you just kind of take us through some of the steps? Like they started me in the mailroom, and then I went here, oh, and then gosh. I went here. It started off with teller training. Uh, well, you know, one, just banking 101. Hey, fill out a net worth statement. I remember as a college kid, I was just... Glad it was positive. It's probably like <laughs> it's probably like five hundred dollars, but that was even. Oh, you were rich. I, I still remember that. Like, man, net worth. Okay, I got to grow this thing. <laughs> so I learned how to be a teller. We ran a teller window. Then we would go back to Nashville and apply that in a branch and do that for a few weeks. And then we'd go back and learn how to open checking accounts and do uh, you know fiduciary accounts for kids and investment accounts. And we'd train on that and then go back to Nashville and apply that in a branch and then go back and learn how to do consumer loans and car loans and HELOC loans and mortgages, and then go back and apply that. And then we'd go back and learn about a little bit more of the management side. And so it was kind of a back and forth. It was a really robust program. Learn a little bit, go put it into practice, learn a little bit, go put it into practice. Is it my perception? And I think you touched on this a little bit, but those programs don't exist like they used to, do they? No, I would say somewhere in the late nineties to early two thousands, banks got a lot more efficient and, um, and that's a little bit of a challenge today, especially with our older workforce and low unemployment rate. We just don't have the bench like we used to. So now when we need new talent, oftentimes it is trying to take somebody away from somebody else or bring mm-hmm. in somebody from our town, unfortunately. But we're doing a little bit better job. I think a lot of folks have internships 
uh, we're going to be forced to because, you know, the working population is aging out. And so we've got a lot of folks that are probably more in the back half of their career than the first half of their career. So if it's a college student who's a finance major, accounting major, or even someone who's just out of school, what kind of prospect do they have in banking today? What should they be doing to secure a position with a company like First Horizon? Yeah, I, I think a banking career is, I mean, I love my job. I love working with very successful companies and very successful individuals and helping them grow. And I think it's a great career. I think internship is a logical way to get in. I think most banks will have one to two to three internships. You might have to start off in the branch and that's a great place to start. I don't mm -hmm. mean that like if you're thinking, I want to be an investment manager, maybe you've got to start in the branch first really get to know everybody. And if you're a rising star and you're talented and you work well with others, there's always a path for anybody like that, yeah. no matter where you start. And, and there's openings that come up for more junior level positions. And sometimes it's that way. But I think if you're in college, I would really encourage you to do internships, partner somehow. So you've got a little bit of experience and connections. Some practical experience. Yeah. So you go through the management training program and you graduate after nine months. Do you just go back to Nashville and you start doing your job? So I go to Nashville, and I was at uh, a prototype branch that started opening on Saturdays. That was a oh, big deal you. in 1995, <laughs> a Saturday open branch. That's crazy. So Hickory Hollow Mall, and then rotated. I really got to go to many different branches across a wide area of Nashville as kind of a roving branch manager, assistant manager. I learned about agriculture in the north part of Nashville. You get closer to Kentucky to more commercial areas, to more retail areas. So I learned a lot by doing that rotation. So that was a, a good growing experience. How long were you in Nashville? So I was there a year and a half back when they were recruiting the first professional team. And I think the Titans, they had just, somewhere around there, they were getting close to the Titans. New Jersey Devils, they were trying to recruit. It was just on the cusp of really taking off in Nashville. I grew up in Memphis, and at that time, that's when Nashville got the Titans, yeah. and they parked them in Memphis for a couple of years. They weren't embraced the, <laughs> yeah. the way they were in Nashville. What was the attraction that, because you went from Nashville back to Chattanooga, right? Yeah. What was the attraction that wanted you to get back to Chattanooga? We love Nashville. And when you're young, you kind of want to spread your wings and get away. And then we realized, man, we love Chattanooga. We miss Chattanooga. We've got a lot of family there, a lot of friends there. It's a great community. And I wanted to be more on the finance commercial side. And Boy, this is old school. I was looking in the newspaper and another God thing, there was an advertisement for kind of a junior commercial lender at SunTrust and applied. The interview process went well and they made an offer and I came back here in February 96. And how long were you with SunTrust at that point? So I was there for a good 12 years. Yeah, a lot of folks still remember me from my SunTrust days. I've been at First Horizon now going into my 14th year, but um you know, got to meet Scotty Probasco, just a wonderful community leader in Chattanooga. Love oh, one Scotty. One of the stalwarts, as yes. we were talking earlier. Yes, yes. I, I had many conversations with him and had the honor of working with a lot of great leaders there. And, you know, it's still a very good bank and uh, they're a worthy competitor and they do great things in the community. You know, it's evolved like all organizations. You know, it changed and there were some changes that precipitated me to look elsewhere, but yeah. uh, it was it was a wonderful experience. Well, and to your point about Scotty Probasco and other banks, a lot of positive things or projects are pushed, not pushed, but the bank's supporters, the financial institution's support is very important. And banks have an obligation to their community, as we were talking about earlier. Can you touch on that? Yeah. So I think, well, one, I think a bank can only be as strong as a community is. And I think we think about all aspects of the community from low to moderate income to the ultra wealthy, to the business owners, to the small business owners, from minority to everybody. So all banks have that strong foundation of we've got to support the community. 
I think we would do that anyway, but there's also the Community Reinvestment Act that makes sure we're doing that and measures that both with dollars given as well as CRA service hours. So uh, we're held accountable through regulatory bodies as well, but we would be doing that anyway or through the passion of the individuals. Yeah. Yeah. As you look at how Chattanooga's changed since you've been here, where do you see it going? So I'm obnoxiously proud of Chattanooga. Every time I travel, I'm like, have you been to Chattanooga? Have you been to Chattanooga? So I love this city. It's got so much going on. It is growing. Um, you see that from all the apartment building. And we're about to have the, the new South Side, the Lookouts, the Ben, Convention Center expansion. We just got a lot of exciting things going on. With that comes some good news problems around affordable housing. And, you know, I'm involved with the chamber and we hear that from our Members that uh, finding labor stuff, it's maybe gotten just a hair better, but it's still a problem. And some of that is child care. And I'm involved with United Way. And so we know house households and child care is an issue and affordable housing. So we've got some good news problems as well as, you know, how do you do some planning for growth and um, traffic and all that stuff. So good news problems. Yeah. And you mentioned the chamber. You're incoming chair of the chamber. Yes. Be, be able to guide that discussion. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And, and we're very aware of some of these issues and the chamber, along with other many community partners, are working on trying to solve some of that. And it's going to take a whole community effort. But, you know, Chattanooga is one of the best mid-sized cities, fast growing. Our population is growing. I think the 2020 census was like 8% in Hamilton County. Maybe overall through all the MSA, it's more like 4 or 5%, but we're growing. It's, yeah. it's good news. It's, it's great. And I just saw an article recently, uh, Southern Living has named us as the best all-around city to retire in. Yes, yes. We've been voted Retirement Magazine, voted as Best Retirement, I think somewhere in the late 90s, early 2000s, Outdoor magazines, voted as best outdoor city. We've got a lot going on. Yeah. Matter of fact, we were, wife and I were in Jackson Hole, Wyoming on vacation. We'd never been out that way. And I was in a retail shop buying bear spray and I was talking to <laughs> somebody and, and cost of living there is just crazy. They're like, we're tired of living out of a van. We're young. My fiance Googled best city to live in, best outdoor city and best affordable city and Chattanooga popped up and they just randomly picked Chattanooga from internet search and are moving to Chattanooga. So Chattanooga's got a lot of good things going on. I bet in the last year I've met at least four people who've moved here from California. Kind of the yeah. same thing, without a job, say we're tired of you know the high taxes or whatever it may be, and, yeah. and they move here and relocate. One of the ways I think you and I got to know each other a bit was uh, on social media. And uh, you point out you're obnoxiously proud of Chattanooga, and I think that's kind of where we kind of attracted together yeah. on that, because I'm kind of obnoxiously proud of Chattanooga, too. And, and I mentioned this on a couple podcasts. I've got a good friend, Ron Har, who's not from here, but Ron's got a great saying. I'm not from Chattanooga, but I got there as quick as I could. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what is it about coming here that people, and it's not just the sink, but that, that feeling of inclusion that if you're willing to roll your sleeves up and work, everyone's happy to have you. That doesn't happen in every city, does it? You know, we've got a very philanthropic community and a very, we've got a growing entrepreneurial community. It may even go back to the, the Lupton days and the aquarium and Coca-Cola where, you know, they made a lot of wealth and then created foundations. And so I think a lot of those former leaders set the precedence of you have an obligation in Chattanooga to give back. That's my opinion. And I think those leaders made it clear. We want you to be successful in Chattanooga, but when you are, stay here, give back, support, be involved in the community, give financially. And so I think there's just a long history. I saw that with my leaders when I was early in my career. And so it's something that I wanted to emulate. And I feel like it's a sense of duty for all Chattanoogans to give back, whether it's volunteer time, doesn't have to be money, volunteer time, 
listen, I'm involved with a lot of nonprofits. The committee work is where things happen. It's the volunteers that make things happen. And their committees are very important because they don't have the staffing that a for-profit business does. So think about that UTC senior, and they hear that message of you got to get involved in your community. How does a kid coming out of school in their first job who's not, you know, still building their net worth, Yeah. how do they give back? You know, I think anybody, if you just think about maybe what your interests are, what you're passionate about, there's a way to get connected to a nonprofit. Every nonprofit needs volunteers more than ever. And so I think you've got to have a little bit of onus on you and what do you want to do and then do some research. And I promise you, if you reach out, there's tons of people that will help you get involved. So whether it's your own circle of influence or circle of network, uh, nonprofit, you just want to reach out, I guarantee you there's a way to get connected. You hit an important point. People want to help people. You know, and if you just go to someone and say, I need some help, it's amazing the people who will help you. Yeah. Just ask them if you'll help you. Yeah. Everybody's gotten where they are because they got helped by somebody. I remember hearing that when I was young. I'm like, nobody helped me. I was <laughs> do it. The more I think back, you know, yes, absolutely folks helped me. They believed in me before I, they should have believed in me and before I believed in myself. And everybody's been helped by somebody. Yeah. I uh, want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned interest. You've got an interest in bourbon. <laughs> that secret is out. Uh, Chatter Magazine and Times Free Press was kind enough to, uh, that was a COVID hobby that developed because we couldn't go anywhere. And me and some colleagues and friends all kind of got into it a little bit. And um, it's really an expensive adult Easter egg hunt, trying to find the really hard to find bourbons and, um, and enjoying them as well. But, you know, having some good things that look good on the shelf as well. You prefer a Kentucky bourbon or a Tennessee whiskey? I, I like both. I got to be careful there. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. I, I'm probably partial to the Buffalo Trace family of bourbon. Yeah. And what makes that special? I think for me, it's just the flavor and the taste, the, uh, the Wellers, the, the Buffalo Trace, the Blantons, the, of course, Pappies, if you can find it, all those things. I, I think they taste pretty good. Yeah. So how many bottles do you have in your collection now? Oh my gosh. Uh, I would guess... God, I'm ashamed to say 150 to 200 probably easily. I'd have to to check and count, but somewhere in that range, yeah. I'm trying to dial back a little bit. I've gotten some of the harder to find ones recently. I'm trying to trying to be more selective, and uh, yeah, I've got a few. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. hobby. Um, in terms of what's next for you, you're market president. You love Chattanooga. Just soon retire here. I absolutely could see myself retiring here and probably will and plan to. I love Chattanooga. I don't necessarily want to be anywhere else. I love giving back to the community. I'm involved uh, where I can, where I'm asked to be in some ways that I can have some value in the community and provide some impact. And we've got a great group of bankers and I love First Horizon and what we do in the community. It's really between our First Horizon Foundation and what we do non-foundation. We just, I have a lot of people going through, man, y'all sponsor everything. Y'all are involved in everything. And I take a lot of pride in, our bank that believes so strongly in supporting our nonprofit community. You do see First Horizons name associated with a lot of big events, a lot of important things around town. Why is that so important? Well, I think uh, I think people notice that. I mean, I literally have had a lot of people come up and say, thank you for what you do. I bank at First Horizon because of what you do for this nonprofit that I'm very passionate about. I think people see it. It's important for the bank to give back and support everybody in the community from Boys and Girls Club to United Way to I can name all the nonprofits. There's so many that we support. The Hunter Museum, Tennessee Aquarium, our tourist attraction. So there's so many that we support. Um, 
I think it makes a bank successful. That's why we, I think part of the reason why we've got number one market share and have for a long time. And we've also been here 100 years, too. I mean, it goes back to Hamilton National Bank. And I still have people come up to me and go, I started banking when you were Hamilton National. And um, so it's a neat history. Matter of fact, we're in the same building that was built in 1912. And um, we're in that same building. And sometimes we feel like we're in a 100-plus-year-old building. <laughs> but there's a neat history there. And we actually just celebrated one associate's 50-year anniversary. He worked at Hamilton National. We've got one person left. 50 years? Yep, 50 years. That's a great accomplishment. Yeah. Obviously, we broke some child labor laws when she started when she was 10. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Of course, the first Horizon Pavilion as well. And we've been doing that now 16, 17 years. I just think it's so important for a bank to be supportive of their community. And everybody should be. Yeah. And you're bullish on Chattanooga. And I did want to touch on one other thing and call yourself a UTC super fan, <laughs> the super mock. Yes. Uh, well, somebody called me that one time and I, yeah, I'm not sure I'm worthy of it, but I love our university. I was UTC alumni board president, just rolled off and I was on the UC foundation board, chancellor's Roundtable, and the UT alumni board of governors. And for anybody, any alumni out there or, or any supporters, if you haven't been on campus in a while, there are amazing things going on. We've got a great university. They just had their record fall enrollment. The athletics department's doing well. A lot of folks from Memphis, yeah. Nashville come. I mean, it's probably 30, 40% from Memphis and Nashville. We've got a lot of new dorms. You know, they're working on the new nursing school building. They're working in the future on a new, in addition to the, the Rollins College of Business. Redid the library. I can go on and on. I'm obnoxiously proud about UTC as well. Well, when I moved here in 2000, you know, UTC was going through some growth. But one of the things in terms of Chattanooga's growth that was pointed out for a city to be great, it has to have a great university. And UTC seems to be taking that seriously and filling that role. Absolutely. And talk about it at the chamber as well. You've got to have a strong hometown university. And Chattanooga State is a great partner with UTC as well. So you can do two years there, then transfer to UTC. So we've got some great, and some private universities in town too. We've got some great, but UTC is special to us. And, and listen, my kids thought, well, I got to leave Chattanooga. So listen, if you live on campus, it's like you've gone to Nashville or Memphis. Yeah. You go home as much as you want or as little as you want. As long as you get involved and live on campus, it's as if you went away. So we need talent in Chattanooga. Like I talked about earlier, we need labor. We need talented workforce. And so we need folks to come to UTC, get educated, and stay here as well. Well, and go back to when you graduate from UTC. I would imagine that there was more of the people that said, I got to get out of town. And we seem to be retaining that brain power now. Well, of course, back then, downtown is not what it was today. And so it was a little different environment. The aquarium was not there. And Chattanooga was different then. So I think there's a lot more to attract today than there was back then. And we've got so many different programs. And there's so many opportunities with the growth. And, and Chattanooga is a great cost of living, great family place. Uh, I think it's a great choice. And we've got to do a better job retaining our minority students as well. The chamber did a study. And sadly, we're losing a lot of our minority students to Atlanta in Miami and some other cities that are doing a better job. So we've got to improve on that too. Those cities probably not necessarily a better job of inclusion, but a better job of inclusion and a stronger community for a minority community. Yes. Yes. I think it's just easier to connect there. They've done a better job embracing them and maybe there's just a better natural foundation there. But uh, I think we're improving on that as a community and we've got to continue to do that. Yeah. Well, you got your hand in a lot of things in Chattanooga, Jay. I do have a final question for you. So, and it, you listen to the podcast, so you know the question. What would you tell your 25 year old self is important for a happy life? 
I've thought a lot about it. Li- I'm in the 100% club, I think. I don't know if there's a bell I get or you <laughs> ring, but I think I've listened to most of the podcasts. So I've thought about this. We do need to get you some kind of trophy. Yeah, I think they're 100% club. We got to start. Um, so uh, I think I would say balance. And I did a fairly good job with balance, but I heard a sermon in the last 10 years or so where Peter said, when you're out of balance, things happen, good or bad. And uh, I would have told my 25 years, be patient learn everything you can. Don't always be looking at the next job. Don't be so career-minded that you're not learning the skills and absorbing everything you can right at that moment. But you also have to do some of that and also plan for retirement and plan financially, but also try not to worry too much about the future. Um, Be team-oriented, but also not to a fault that you're not advocating for yourself and tooting your own horn. So you got to have that balance. And sometimes you need to be out of balance because great things happen when you are. And sometimes it's not good when you're out of balance. I would say balance. Yeah, it is kind of a dichotomy of be a team player, but also advocate for yourself. Yeah. Plan, save your money, but also go have fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that balance is very critical for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you, Jay. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. It was an honor and a uh, big fan of what you do. So keep doing it. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.